It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. into Thursday morning. Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. I thank you so much for joining us. Jeff Howell out again today. He'll be back tomorrow. This, uh, it, it, and it didn't sink until yesterday. A, a lot has sunk in, by the way, over the past. What's happened over the past a month or so, but this uh, really didn't sink in until yesterday because I had to be reminded of the deal. Will be the final show on this station and on these airwaves that uh, Cameron Parker will produce for us because he had already had scheduled vacation to take off. Just the vacation comes a little long, becomes a little uh, more extended for you now. How you doing? This yeah, morning? just a little bit. Uh, I'm doing good, Craig. Um, kind of wasn't thinking about it like that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, so, uh, me too. Me too. I was the same way, and I was like, whoa, okay, this is it. <laughs> it's weird, the process. That it's been uh, the last two years have just completely flown by, Craig. Um, I, I basically have worked from worked with you from the start, um, yep. behind the scenes producing UT football, basketball, baseball, and then, of course, the, the coaches show at Pluckers. Um, so... You haven't got rid of me yet, Craig. No, um, haven- and and not planning to. Uh, just to let uh, folks know that that uh, Cam will also uh, continue to assist us in our uh, network broadcast of uh, uh, Longhorn Athletics coming up. So we're looking forward to that. So so it's not for us. It's not goodbye. Just you know, a, a temporary so long for that sort of thing. So that's good. So uh, so that's why it's uh, not quite as. Uh, shattering as it might otherwise be so yeah. so so uh that is good um were you watching uh rangers astros last night were you watching women's world cup uh what was what, what was your deal on that so i i'm kind of weird in the way where if my team continues to lose i, I think i'm the jinx so oh, rangers lost the first two oh, games yeah. to the astros so i was like all right i'm gonna pack for my upcoming trip yeah Right. And I'll just, you know, monitor Twitter. I'll, I'll watch through Twitter. Okay. Um, so I'll be down 3 nothing early. It was like, great. We're going to be swept. We're going to be tied in the AL West now. And then all of a sudden, I just start seeing my phone blow up with tweets about Adolis Garcia and uh, Martin Maldonado. Yeah. I got it. And it says Rangers have scored 12 of the last 13 runs with two outs. Oh, that must be good. How about so that? <laughs> enjoyed watching the highlights. Um, enjoyed drinking the Astro fans' tears after Garcia's grand slam. Marcus Simeon had that two-run shot. So I'm glad. Now, the last two series, after winning six straight, we lost two of the three of the Dodgers, of course, Craig. And yeah. we lost two of the three of the Astros. So after a great start, kind of coming back down to earth. But I really, 
tough opening slate to start the second half of the season. Okay. All right. Spoken like a true Rangers fan, and and things have gotten a little bit salty and did last night. Uh, That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. good. The Rangers have been so bad the last seven years, nothing gets salty about. You can't get mad when you lose by the Astros. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well. It's competitive. Yeah. It's 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 definitely competitive, no, no no doubt about that. So you didn't you didn't catch any of the World Cup? I watched the second half of the U.S. Sunderland's game. So yeah. I saw U.S. equalize and the forty five shots they had on goal in the last ten minutes that somehow none went in. Unbelievable! It completely dominated the second half, but it can only get the one uh, goal in the second half to equalize it, and they won it. But you know that it was important not to drop the match. Yeah. They're in great position to advance to the knockout stage. So. Uh, get that one out of the way. Uh, our our specs text line open at three three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. And uh, thank you to the colonel. Uh, the colonel retired. Craig Flowers used to seat up in solid plank for the opener. Hey, we're trying to do that all down the stretch for you, Colonel. Here, uh, so I've got uh, we have uh, three more openers, three more planks for you there. You know, uh, t- tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday, we'll do that. Happy Jack Farrell will be uh, at the switch tomorrow and uh, and then uh, Monday and Tuesday, right? Is At least it? so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he'll be, he'll be on that. All right. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, here in uh, a few minutes, David Pierce, head uh, baseball coach at the University of Texas, will join us. It'll be our first conversation uh, that we've had since uh, the end of the season. Uh, and uh, and then uh, with uh, following up, I wanted to visit with him after everything was buttoned up with regard to the Major League Baseball draft and everyone who that who was going to sign a professional contract and leave had done so. It just wound up, you know, a couple of days ago um, with uh, the uh, final uh, the final uh, you might say point being or box being checked off the list. And um, and then also to visit with him about uh, the changes and adjustments he's made with his coaching staff. So we'll visit with him uh, about that. That'll be coming up, and that'll be an early edition of our Longhorn Notebook that's coming up here uh, in just a few minutes. So we'll visit with him. Uh, the in uh, we'll have uh, inconceivable. Um, there's there's a a a type of story. Cam, that would normally fit in Friday. And we know what Friday means with Inconceivable, right? Of course. Got to reach for that low-hanging fruit. Yeah, yeah, for the most flaccid of the 48, Florida. This is not a Florida story, but it's when you hear it, it will just scream Florida to you. Uh, that so, so I figured I had to have something yeah. like that since since it'll be the last Inconceivable that you – that you uh, uh, you know are on the button pushing side of that. So we'll uh, and then there's a couple other uh, topics as well. In fact, uh, I got an assist from the missus on one of these stories. It's kind of uh, weird and kind of creepy a little bit, and and she gets the assist on that. Um, then in the um, eleven o'clock hour, Keith Moreland joins us here in studio, and of course. Uh, Keith does fabulous job on Longhorn Network with uh, Longhorn Baseball uh, on on the home telecast, and then of course joins us frequently on the road uh, for uh, joining me uh, on the road with uh, Longhorn Baseball on uh, the radio broadcast, uh, and then uh, in addition to that, uh, works as an analyst on the ESPN Plus telecast for Texas State football. 
uh, working that with Brant Freeman. So, uh, and and other sort of, he's got the Little League World Series, the regionals in Waco coming up. Ooh. So he does that every year. So uh, we'll visit with Keith and we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk uh, some Longhorn baseball and we'll talk. Uh, uh, we'll talk Major League Baseball. After all, he was in the bigs for more than a dozen years. So uh, we'll we'll visit with him. Uh, about that and and do some reminiscing as we've done uh, during these um, last uh, few shows that we've had, which, by the way, I've had <laughs> described to me in various terms, uh, final chapter, last dance, green mile, <laughs> lots of lots of different ways to describe these final shows that we have today and then three more afterwards. And that's cool. That's, that's fine. Um, and, and then it'll be time to, uh, for those of us who, and it's the vast majority of us who, uh, won't be staying that, uh, to move on to the next professional as well as personal chapter of our lives. Uh, so we'll do that. But, uh, but there will, you know, there are some things, uh, that will continue on obviously, uh, the, like me broadcast in the Texas game, so we'll do that. Do you know how many radio shows you've worked on in your career? Do you know the number? You mean just like like regular like yeah. daily show like this? Yeah, uh, it would be in the thousands. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've had, with the exception of the three year break from February seventeen to uh, February of twenty seventeen to March 2020, three years. With the exception of that three-year break, uh, I've been uh, on the air doing a daily show for more than 30 years. I, th- there, was a, there was also a nine-month break when I left KRLD in November of 96 before coming down here because I was working – in television, uh, doing the Rangers television show as well as the high school shows, and was still working the Longhorn radio broadcasts, but w- was not doing a regular daily conversational sports talk show during that nine month break. So, other than the nine months and the three months, uh, or the three uh, the the nine months and the three years, so if, if close to maybe four years. Other than that, it's been more than thirty years. So that would be number in the thousands. Jeez. So yeah, <laughs> it just means it's been around for a while. So, uh, so anyway, so that's uh, that's you know that's what the the situation is there, and um, so it's it's been around a long you know uh, it, it, it's 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 like and and you know the the fun thing about this is is the enjoyment um, of the uh, the enjoyment of, of of just interacting not only obviously with you but also. Um, you know, with with the guests, with other co-hosts, um, you know, uh, th- that sort of thing. Uh, you know, just having the opportunity to do that, um, that th- that I think is as important as as anything else. So we, we always hear the relationships, how how important those are, and um. And they are, and and they're and getting to know the people that I've known over the time has meant an awful lot. Uh, our specs text line is over. We will, by the way, give away another copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. We'll do that, uh, and uh, and 
Um, that'll be the different call-in line, not the text line. Uh, uh, Victor asked me, do you think you'll call any uh, regular season high school football games or is it going to be in the state playoffs? Uh, as far as I know, I'm definitely doing the state championships. So, uh, you know, I had one conversation when I was down at coaching school, so I know I'm doing those again. We'll see about the other things. Um, and we'll get to more of your texts in a moment. But right now, uh, it's time for an early edition, you might say, uh, early in the first hour edition of The Notebook. So uh, we, we move forward with that. Longhorn Notebook. And uh, joining us on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline, the head coach of Texas Longhorn Baseball. Uh, David Pierce joins us now. I appreciate the time, and and people were asking me about uh, breaks and vacation. I know you've had uh, precious little opportunity even to catch your breath, but how how are you doing here? Uh, come on the uh, tail end of July. Yeah, we're doing well, Craig. Thanks for having me. You know, you look up and uh, you finish a season in kind of a gut wrenching wrenching way of finishing, but you look up and uh, everybody comes back to you and. So I hope you enjoy your, your summer, have a great summer, you know, get some downtime. And it's kind of crazy because it's the opposite. You just switch gears and you go into recruiting. Uh, recruiting now is, you know, preserving the guys that you've already committed. Also, uh, you know, this thing called the transfer portal now is pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you mix all that in with uh, kind of cultivating relationships with donors to really help increase our NIL position and it's just very active in a lot of different directions when you're in season you're you got a little more tunnel vision and you're one direction all the time and now you just kind of bounce from different things and add camp in there so there's a lot of activity going on and uh, it's just what it is and so we start slowing down a little bit in August to get a little time off before we uh, bring the new crop in would you, would you say, um, uh, well, I guess I should add, I know the answer is yes, but uh, uh, how much more time now has to be devoted to uh, visiting with, networking with, and educating the donors on this whole NIL process and how they can really help the program and, and how the whole thing works. Would would you say it's a significant amount more time than it used to be for, for you and the staff and visiting with those who are interested in helping out in the whole NIL process as donors? Much more significant. And it's because we're in such an infancy stage of understanding it and our goal through texas one fund is really to be very sustainable and are we at are we a program are we a university that's going to really commit to it and do it the right way i say yes and so that takes time getting things in place but at the same time we're pretty committed to doing it the right way and and really having it to have a a, a longevity about it versus just trying to go after one or two guys and throw a lot of money. Our goal is to, you know, have a team salary, have enough for our entire roster plus, you know, when we have to go above that. So there's a lot of things that, you know, that are out of my control. But my goal is to really educate the donors. Um, And another piece that we used to never deal with is advisors. So we spend more time speaking to advisors about, I guess you call it their client than ever before. And so that's a a new piece as well. So 
you know, you just have to be adaptable, and I'm very adaptable towards doing what's best for Texas baseball and making it happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. David Pierce Longhorn's head baseball coach joining us here on Light the Tower on the Horn. Uh, there were there obviously were several reasons I wanted to have you join us. That was one of them to talk about uh, the, the things of that nature. Uh, l- let me move to your to your roster management because the way the things went uh, with the uh, Major League Baseball draft uh, did did anything ultimately surprise you with uh, who was drafted? And and or where they might have been drafted, and with regard to the signing, I know you're you're really kept in tune with uh, the players. I remember vividly, vividly, uh, on the flight home after the, the the final heartbreaking loss at Stanford when we were all flying home. Uh, I knew you were you were still doing your duties as a head coach. I remember uh, seeing you walk back a few rows behind me and sit down with a couple of different players at different points and ask them what their thoughts were with the draft coming up. So you had already you'd already started to work that, no question about it. But it, it, how about your impressions of what you saw, where your guys uh, were drafted, and those who chose to sign and those who chose to return? Yeah. So we. Started our exit meetings right on the plane coming back home from Palo Alto because I like to spend a little time with our players then and just kind of get their thoughts from the season, what they really enjoyed, what they feel like we could do better. And it's usually those older kids are in that draft eligible position. And so I tried to knock out a lot of those guys on the plane. And then when you look at the way this thing has kind of evolved, it used to be you know, you continue your recruiting, um, and that that's kind of setting your next couple of years up and then taking care of your kids that are incoming and just kind of paying attention how their summers are going. And then you start all the prep for them coming into the University of Texas and housing and, and, and making sure that they're under compliance and, and their academics are set up. So now you add the portal and immediately – you know, there's thousands of kids in there. So you have to be very selective, very cautious. So we added some really good pieces. So when you look at adding some of those pieces, you also have to hold your breath whether or not they're going to sign. So we go through this process of four to six guys that we added to our program, and then you get into the draft. And so if you project X amount of guys that are going to get drafted and signed, then you look up and you're kind of in the exact numbers where you want to be. And then there's a second wave after the draft of the portal where guys didn't get drafted. Now they're looking for a home. Uh, It's just very interesting and really drawn out. And so we did well in the, in the front end with our transfers. We're still involved and interested in a couple other guys. And then we did really well with the draft. When you look at, you know, Tanner, LBJ, and people go, well, they didn't even get drafted. Tanner got drafted late, but it's pretty smart on their part because they basically say, we're going to set a high number. And if they meet that number, we're going to sign. If they don't meet the number, we want to go back to school and we want to go try to compete for a national championship. And that's really awesome when kids really recognize their abilities and investing in themselves moving forward. So uh, we did well with those two. And then you throw Charlie Hurley in there. I had five guys, those three, plus Lucas Gordon and Travis Staley, I figured if we get one, that's good. If we get two back, that's great. Now we got three. So that's outstanding to get 
you know, with LBJ Hurley back, and then you throw in a Porter Brown that I'm still a little confused with how he didn't get at least a, a, a free agency. But, you know, the metrics and what they look at and what they can afford um, don't always match up. So we're fortunate to get Porter back, and then you throw a couple of transfer uh, portal guys that, you know, the Will Rigney kid from Baylor, I think, is going to be outstanding for us. Uh, and then you look at, you know, a couple other kids. So, and a couple of freshmen. We ended up keeping Will Gasparino and Hayden Morse. Um, and the only one we really lost was Tavis Sakura, but they met his number and he had a very high number. So it's just very intriguing, but it just, it's kind of like dealing with the stock market. It changes every day <laughs> and it can change within hours. And you just, it's almost like watching a ticker board and every day you get five new names. And so you research and go, all right, does that kid fit in? Do we have room for that? Is that a need? So it's constant all the way up until we get our roster set and probably the first week of August. Yeah, and uh, you, you kind of answered the question, I think. I was about to ask you, is there one guy who uh, is coming back who uh, might have surprised you the most with where or not being drafted at all. And it sounds like you were talking about with Porter Brown that that would be the case or at least having an opportunity. Although it's been great reading, seeing all the social media posts from Porter about how he's excited about running it back one more time with uh, the folks that occupy left field and being out there. And to have him as a stabilizing force in the outfield, I know it has to make you happy. No doubt. And I, I, tell, I tell you, it's really gratifying to know that you have older players that have an option to potentially go professional baseball, but are excited knowing that they have two options and the other being able to come back, finish their education and play another year at Texas. And to me, that just, it just states great. Uh, uh, The culture in our clubhouse is, is so good that, you know, the kids are like, that's fine. I didn't get my number, so I can't wait to get back to school. And so that that's something you should strive for as a coach to, you know, have those options. And, you know, we dealt with it with Eric Kennedy last year. And you know, I think more than anything, he was a little frustrated with how his season ended. But, you know, he had a hamstring injury that cost him eight weeks and just really never, never got back in the groove. And if you ask him today, do you regret coming back last year? He would say it was absolutely the best thing that could happen to him. So you just never know. You just don't want to force the draft because you get told of age and leverage and things that the professional side do um, make a point to, to uh, you know, the drafted players. And so I just think our kids are doing a good job of doing their homework. Did it um, get – I don't know if intriguing, interesting, suspenseful for you during these final days for uh, for Dylan Campbell and, and what was going on with the Dodgers and all that until the Dodgers went above slot to, to pay him the $500,000. Did it get kind of intriguing uh, with, uh, with the way you were following and keeping in touch with D.C. about how all that was going on? I talked to D.C. probably – more than definitely more than any other player. Um, I remember the first conversation I had with him right when we got back, probably a week into the summer. And I said, "Hi, right, DC, what's it going to take to get you back? He goes, coach, I need a new set of golf clubs. I'm like, okay, I can buy those personally. <laughs> uh, but no, it, 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 it's 
very intriguing because, you know, I think DC is a great player and is close to a five-tool player that I've had. But when you look at his history, he came on late in 22. He started slow. So if you look at what happened at Globe Life early first weekend, that's when you have a lot of brass, a lot of scouting directors, a lot of people making decisions in the building. And he didn't have a very good weekend. And so at times that first impression is what people stick in their head. And he just continued to get better and better and better and finish strong. So I think if you compare him to like a, a Dylan Cruz or Langford from Florida, you're like, they're, they're exceptional players, but I don't think he's far behind either one of them. And I say that honestly, because those guys have been superstars since the high school. And Dylan was playing football and toting the football around in greater Houston area and, and then playing baseball. And so his maturation as a baseball player has taken a little longer. But now I think he's an exceptional gift for the Dodgers. And I would have loved to have him back, but I'm proud of him and happy for him. Uh, let, let me get your thoughts. Obviously, we're visiting with uh, Longhorns head coach David Pierce talking about uh, his ball club. Uh, it, here we are on uh, July 27th, so uh, it's it's uh, not exactly an equitable question, but in, in your mind, or at least off the top of your head, take me through what you see right now before you even get into fall ball and everybody that is that's on board with your team as you look at it position by position what you think you have right now and the competition at certain positions and uh, certain guys at certain things what what rolls through your mind when you look at your defensive alignment around the field uh much more experienced than last year uh a little bit more set in roles. Uh, you look at Rylan Galdan, who played a very significant role behind Garrett last year, but gained a lot of experience. But then we also had a kid that was injured in, in Kimball Schusler that is taking huge strides um, in his rehab and in his work and his commitment to the team. And you, know, you look at Jared Thomas at first base, he may end up in the outfield because we have some pretty good options there. Um, Jack looks to be ready to have a great season, but he's going to get pushed by some really good uh, younger players and, and guys that that are, uh, I think, potential to be really good. But Jack has just worked his tail off, and he's one of those guys that you look up and go, he just keeps getting better. He's a sponge, and he has no fear of making adjustments and tinkering a little bit to just try to get better. And I think Jalen Flores got a chance to step in at shortstop and be great. And getting Peyton Powell back is just a, a big get for us as well. And you had Porter in the, in, in the outfield and, you know, the kid Gasparino, and then you throw in Thomas. And then, you know, we've got some other kids that are going to just push them. We picked up a JC kid out of California and another kid from Penn that's a, a local um uh, Austin Knight. And so it's just a lot of intriguing pieces, in my opinion, with a little extra experience in those positions. And the first thing that sticks out in my head, though, is uh, starting pitching. I mean, you can come back knowing that potentially three weekend starters before you do anything with, with LBJ and Hurley, uh, that's pretty encouraging. 
No doubt. Um, here, here, a question for you that somebody came in. I know you you really appreciate the the well thought out cerebral uh, analytical kind of question. And here's somebody who said, with the addition of the portal, have you had to adjust your day to day planning and time management to ensure that you can be more efficient every day? How's that for a question? That's a that's a. <laughs> In-depth question, for sure. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting because at this time of the year, you have assistant coaches on the road, um, but they have access to the portal. And we don't really just check the 3,000 in the portal. It's it's five names a day that somebody's telling us about a player, and that's from the history of our networking, of just having people across the country that – kind of knows who I'm, what I'm about and type of player that I want. And then we have a little bit more narrow gap of how we, how we start approaching that. And we, we hit our networks more than anything uh, before, before we start offering. And we have film. I mean, there's film on every kid. And so uh, that's kind of the first thing we grab some names and then we just jump into true media or synergy and start looking at those guys. And then, start using our networks and our references and kind of narrowing it down. Does that player fit into us and can we afford him? And do we have room for him? And that's the key is just, we got some really older kids that have not performed or not played as much per se as some other, other players, but they're vital roles in our, in our clubhouse and they make guys around them better and they make this culture work. And so you know, you're just constantly managing that. But on a day-to-day basis, uh, I think our coaches probably communicate that. If it's uh, a group call or a group message, uh, it's constant. So it's it's never a dull moment. It's it's just constant where you're on the phone or texting just about all day. The the, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and it was the, the announcement uh, came down a couple of days ago, that the, the uh, reorganization of the staff – and uh, the the way you've got it set up now, uh, Steve Rodriguez returning again. Uh, Caleb Longley is a full time assistant. Philip Miller back from the special assistant role into that, and getting uh, Tulo back. Troy Tulowitzki coming back as director of player development, and having uh, Gordo Chris Gordon uh, continuing that role of coordinator of hitting and pitching development. Carly Todd had to kind of do a couple of jobs last year, both as director of operations and that uh, that director of player development. She'll uh, slide into that. Uh, a regular transition into being director of operations, uh, and you handling uh, the the primary pitching coach duties. And I wanted to get your thoughts on on these decisions and and how the the staff reorganization came about. Craig, you're just such a hall of famer. I mean, I'm impressed that you waited on the back end to hit the staff rearrangement <laughs> and restructuring. That's pretty good. That's pretty good on your part. Hey, you, uh, we always say honestly, it's about the kids first, right? <laughs> that's exactly right, always. Uh, honestly, it just it was a very tough and, and stressful time because I loved our staff last year, but also knew that um, when we brought in Philip in-house, um, it was kind of in projection of what's going to happen next year moving into um, the SEC eventually. But uh, for us to get him back on the field, he's going to stay with the infielders. And, you know, Troy and him worked so well together in the past. And 
by the way, that's just huge get of just getting Tulo back. He's just tremendous in the building. Um, the things that he offers, the things that he brings to the coaches, things that he brings to the support staff, the players, and he's just a he's a true professional, and he just knows how to do it right. And so, you know, having his eyes out there is important, and kind of helps me with that that side of the position players. And so, when you look at Caleb, this guy's young and aggressive, and I think he's one of the future um, big time coaches, but also loves to recruit and recruiting is not always fun and he's young he's got a lot of energy and he loves being out in the field and so primary primarily as the coordinator but at the same time everybody's going to be involved in recruiting but he did a good job with our outfielders and hitting as well and so he also has a good relationship with Tulo so you put those three together you know Rod's a baseball coach he can he can do a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats. So I actually went to him just recently and said, why don't you move into the catching? And then that coordinates with me a little bit more with pitching catching. And I think it could be a good marriage and how, how we set that up. But honestly, we were just, when you look at the staff, we were pitching heavy. Uh, Gordo does such a great job of preparing us. Um, and then, you know, I've done this pitching thing for so many years and I love it, but you know, you always try to feel like, right. I need to manage more. I still manage and I'll still be involved in everything, but I just think primarily I, I feel real comfortable of, of getting back in the bullpen and working a lot more one-on-one with our pitchers. Uh, it's just something that, that I've always enjoyed. I've been a pitching coach since 06 and continue doing that as a head coach through my first two years here. And so I just felt like for the best situation for our players, that creates the best structure for our staff. And you mentioned Carly. She's done such a great job in all the roles that she's been in. Uh, you know, she started out as the SID and then moved into director of player development. And then, you know, when we were one person short last year, uh, she did a tremendous job double dipping her and her and Philip as well, and so now she's moving back into you know more of a conventional ops position uh, and sliding too low in that uh, director of development. And so it's just a lot of good pieces. Uh, it's not as big of a change as everybody's probably thinking. Um, but I think it's going to coordinate really well for our team. Let me ask you this. I know uh, other folks are wanting facts. I just texted in as well, but I, I had it uh, on my list. Are you still going to be uh, out there dodging line drives in the third base coaching box, or, do, or have you made a, 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 an adjustment there as well? You know, I love coaching third base, and it's interesting. I have this one guy that sits above the third base dugout. <laughs> every time I run out there, it's like, be aggressive today, Dave. And I'm thinking, what does that really mean? Because <laughs> if the if if the the defense allows it, the pitching allows it, uh, we're always aggressive. But um, I do enjoy that part, and I feel like I see the game a little a little bit better from calling the offensive side. But I'm probably going to relinquish those duties, uh, either Philip or to Rod or uh, maybe Caleb. Just I think Phillip's kind of the front runner there. He's been around me long enough to know how I like to operate that. And then I'll be involved in a lot of the decision-making, but 
I think I'm gonna I'm gonna retire myself from third base. Yeah, well, uh, at, at least we still get you healthy because uh, there were some times in the last two years I was a little concerned. I mean, you did a you did a good job, deftly and dodging and doing as I said on the broadcast, the dosy do, getting away from some of those foul balls. Uh, that was uh, that was something out. I mean, all right, does that become also a clear and present signal to you going? You know, maybe I'm getting a sign here that maybe there's a time to make a move on that deal. And what's your fault? I got to get with Coach Couch and start working my agility if I'm going to stay out there because, I mean, these guys are hitting the ball hard. And uh, I see it well. It's just sometimes that depth perception kind of messes me up. Uh, I quit trying to fill ground balls over there just because I, I. uh, I just try to get out of the way of everything, but yeah, it's probably time. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, I appreciate you doing this, and uh, I look forward to seeing you around the corner, and and I hope you and Susan get a little bit of time off anyway before this thing ramps up again with fall practice in the fall. But I appreciate you uh, taking a few minutes to join me this morning. Oh yeah, we're gonna take a little time next week. Um, see my granddaughters and just uh, enjoy a week with them. But all's good. We appreciate you guys and. Um, Looking forward to our, our, our fall sports and being a supporter of our other coaches, man. Our coaches do such a great job. And, you know, I think we do a great job supporting each other as well. And I think that also helps the department and and, and players supporting players. So it's a good spot. Um, proud of everything. And so ready to move forward. Hey, I got to ask you one more thing. And you were down and you and I didn't get a chance to see one another at coaching school, but there you were in Houston and you and your brother-in-law doing doing a session. You you and uh, Gary Kubiak, uh, for <laughs> folks who didn't know, is is, is uh, coach Pierce's brother-in-law and you were doing you were doing a, a a a session and I was at the time doing a, a panel discussion thing with Mac Brown and I didn't get a chance to be there uh for the thing. But of course, he's here's the things I heard. One uh, I heard uh, that uh, Jeff Howell told me he ruined the whole thing by asking you a, a, a nuts and bolts staff question and and a roster question. Yeah, immediately. He didn't waste any any time on that, and he readily admits that. But I also heard it was a real entertaining and engaging type of thing. So, I mean, what, what, how did that all come about? I mean, other than obviously the Coaches Association being in touch with you guys about you and your brother-in-law doing that session. Yeah, it's interesting because Coach West is in, in charge of getting all the speakers, and uh, he was the head coach at Brenham. Actually, just got inducted in the Hall of Fame for uh, Texas high school football. A really good man, great coach. But he he reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing something for the baseball coaches because they're now creating an extension of the spring sports and the summer camp in the summer clinic and. And so we started talking, and he knew Gary's my brother-in-law. He goes, man, Gary did this for us five years ago, and he was exceptional. And so I'm, the whole time we're talking, trying to figure out what topic he would like me to speak on. And so I said, hey, what about this? I said, what if we had an Aggie football guy and a Longhorn baseball guy <laughs> and just in a Q&A on leadership? And he goes, coach, if you can pull that off, that would be tremendous. And so I reached out to Coop, and he was all for it. Um, and then we reached out to Mark Berman, who has just retired with the Houston Fox Sports. And so the three of us just kind of pieced it together and sort of winged it. But uh, I thought it went well. But it was just more about, you know, how we kind of bounce things off of each other and 
how you utilize people that you respect that can help help your program. And Gary's definitely been uh, one of those guys for me. No doubt. Hey, uh, David, thanks again for doing this. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope you enjoy a little bit of downtime. Look forward to seeing you around the corner. And, and again, uh, thanks for joining me this morning. All right. I appreciate you. Take care. All right. You bet. That's David Pierce, uh, Longhorns head baseball coach. And for the person on the Specs text line who asked the question and said, uh, what about mound visits when Coach Pierce goes to the mound? Does it count as pitching coach or head coach? It's the same thing. If it's coming from the dugout – it's the same thing. You have you have your official visit, and if you come out a second time in the inning, if the visit comes from the dugout, then the uh, the second visit, then the pitcher is removed. It's just like uh, in the past, whether it was Woody Williams last year or somebody else making a visit out to the mound to visit with a pitcher, and then you knew when Coach Pierce was coming out, a change was going to be made unless it was a medical-type situation, checking on the health of a pitcher. But if there's two visits from the dugout, it doesn't matter who the person is doing that. That's different from the on-field visits when they when they go to the go to the mound. It's different from that from a, a position player coming in the dock as opposed to coming from the dugout there. And uh, and you heard him say he's probably going to step aside on the third base coaching duty. So uh, could see Philip Miller there and perhaps Steve Rodriguez continuing at first base. Maybe Caleb Longley gets involved with that as a full-time assistant. We'll see uh, about all that. All right, our thanks to Coach Pierce. Coming up, uh, we're going to uh, – uh, get to uh, a couple other topics before we get to Inconceivable. We'll do that when we continue to light the tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the tower. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. Our thanks again to Longhorns head baseball coach David Pierce joining us here on the program as we got his thoughts on uh, the signings uh, and his roster makeup as well as his staff uh, adjustments and uh, reorganization of his coaching staff as well. So uh, our, our thanks and we appreciate uh, that. <laughs> Captain Caveman on the text line goes, geez, how depressing. He was, he was going after you about that, Cam, on your choice of the return cut. Hey, I'm just trying to say that we're, we've all had the time of our lives. We have. We have. And and listen. It's a good song. Caveman. Hey, Captain, you know you know how this the, this business and everything works. Door closes. Another one opens. Uh, things, things of that nature. And I will say this. Um... Those uh, who, who have heard all of us whose time will be ending here uh, after next Tuesday, uh, we've all said virtually the same thing, that we've uh, really enjoyed our time together and we're really enjoyed uh, being around each other and, and getting a chance to work with one another. And, uh, you know, things, 
things change. I'm gonna. I, I, I've been waiting to use this this quote, and I'm gonna use it now, and then I'm gonna use it again before I leave here because it's such a good quote. If you were a fan of the Star Trek movies, most notably, which I thought the best one because there were a lot of as they got like most movie sequels, the the more they did, the the less attractive they became. <laughs> um, but if you saw Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Okay, you remember how that works? Where I hope I'm not doing a spoiler alert. The movie did come out in 1982, but um, uh, there's the point where you know Spock goes into that uh, that the into that compartment, that room that's been flooded with all that radiation to get the reactor up and going, so they can get into uh, warp speed and get away from the Genesis Project explosion. So they do that, and then Kirk runs down there. And he sees that Spock is dying, and he's right there, and he looks at him right before he goes away. And other than saying, Jim, I have always and will always be your friend. I mean, other than that, and does the live long and prosper thing, which, by the way, took me a long time to do that. You the, can do the, it. The, the Vulcan thing. It, 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 it took me a while to be able to do that. Is there a trick to it? Uh, no, it was just muscle stuff over okay. time. Just uh, I, I might have had to actually push my fingers together initially but then it then it became much more uh, natural afterwards but the quote he said and I've carried it with me through my life professionally and personally is and I quote there are always possibilities so you just think about that there are always possibilities for the, for the specs texture saying, how about uh, REM's It's the End of the World as We Know It? It's not the end of the world, though. It, it's not. I know. Well, I know as we know it on, the, on this station, like it. It, it maybe it might be there, but yeah. And Bizarro Dale Dudley says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Absolutely. Well said. Um, uh, the uh, <laughs> CB just tweeted that they go, that. that God, I knew where Kirk is yelling at him, that sort of thing. Uh, I, where he says, I'm laughing at the superior intellect, where he does that thing to, uh, to draw him into that deal. But, um, uh, you know, like I said, there's always possibilities. You know what the possibilities are? There's a possibility that you might win a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. If, and I'm thinking of all the uh, those who are listening on the app, if you're caller number 15, Caller number 15, 555. Be the 15th caller right now at 512-447-3776. Be caller number 15. You'll win a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine from us here at the Horn. Up next, we have Inconceivable. We continue to light the tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Inconceivable! Inconceivable! You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, uh, well, well. First of all, <laughs> out of inconceivable, uh, slick text in again. Says slick here again. I don't intend to be a nuisance. I'm really confused about how to pronounce Neto's name. I know you care about getting names right. The pronunciation guide is very different from what I hear from media. Please pronounce his name. I can listen all morning uh, today. Uh, so I, I think the difference is whether you're just pronouncing the E as a long A or as an E-T. 
But what I heard him say was Neto. And I know on the pronunciation, it says NATO, like the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's a a tomato-tomato thing almost, I think. Neto, I kind of split the difference, really. Uh, It's like there's a town in Wise County out near Decatur. Now, Cameron, this town is spelled A-L-V-O-R-D. A-L-V-O-R-D. How would you pronounce that? A-L-V-O-R-D. Alford. Right. Right. Alvord or Alvord. Yeah. Right. Old timers in the community say pronounce like the R is an I. Alvoid. Alvoid. And I'll, I couldn't bring myself to go Alvoid. But I would split the difference just for those, the people that the longtime residents say Alvoid. Like it was an A. Mm-hmm. And that's how it kind of is for me with NATO. You can say NATO or you can say NATO. Or I, I kind of split the difference and say Neto. So that's why. I hope that helps, Slick. But that's, and uh, so uh, Yumei Zulu would be, uh, uh, would be the other, it would be the last name on that. So hopefully that uh, answers it uh, for uh, th- that, uh, for that situation. So uh, it's, it's okay. It's, good to know that we've got that. See, Longhorn Fan in Denton says Alvoid. I'm telling you, the old timers say Alvoid up there, but there's no I in that. So I would split the difference and and pronounce the I like an A, Alvoid. Just so that when I was doing the old high school scoreboard show on radio up there, the thing that the TV show that I do now is modeling people say, what did he say? Did he say Alvoid or Alvord? Or... I, I never said Alvord. <laughs> would be that kind of thing. So there you go. <laughs> Joe number two just texted in a picture of a uh, uh, a baby with a very uh, concerned look on his face and said, this baby's first word is going to be inconceivable. <laughs> we have that. Anyway, I hope that helps. We'll we'll see if that, uh, if that indeed helps out. Okay. Got a couple of things to get to. Uh, First of all, there is a man in Washington, D.C., or in the Georgetown area there, who is selling a wall, an actual wall, uh, and he's selling it for $50,000. He told the Washington Post he was selling it and because he'd had issues with the owner of the house to which the wall is attached. It's a brick wall. And it looks like it's about six or seven feet tall. And it's kind of attached to a brick building. Well, the median sale price of homes in the neighborhood is $1.6 million. And the guy who owns the wall and the stuff that's attached to it is selling it for $50,000. The uh, listing has that. And he goes, and, and the listing says, own a piece of Georgetown. Not Texas, you know, in the capital city. This wall is located at 30th and M Northwest. The opportunities are limitless. Somebody said the wall is not in great shape. It's like crumbling there. But you too can own a piece of a wall in the Washington, D.C. area for uh, $50,000. Okay, um, there's uh, speaking of location, laser mapping is a big thing now. And uh, on the Yucatan Peninsula, there is a laser mapping 
has identified a lost city. Uh, it was abandoned more than a thousand years ago. So uh, Juan Carlos Fernandez Diaz, who's an assistant professor in civil engineering at the University of Houston, spotted the city in March during an airborne archaeological survey of the area. And for the past decade, he's been one of those trailblazers in the uh, archaeological application of LIDAR, that is airborne light detection and radar equipment that can find structures that are obscured by dense tree canopies and other vegetation. Relics that in some cases reveal traces left by a lost civilization. So archaeologists subsequently surveyed this site, which they've named Ocumtum, for whatever reason, for six weeks in May and June, found 50-foot-tall structures resembling pyramids, pottery, and engravings that they believe date back to between 600 and 900 A.D., known as the Late Classic period in the Mayan uh, civilization. So uh, so there's that. Um, all right, you need to know this, going from lost civilizations to perhaps unknown civilizations. Um, an Air Force intelligence officer told the United States Congress actually did this test in testimony to a House committee yesterday. Retired Major David Grush, as part of an investigation into reports of unidentified aerial phenomena, that the U.S. government has a longstanding program that retrieves unidentified flying objects and said that non-human biologics have been found at crash sites where the objects were recovered. Let me repeat that. Non-human. In 2021, the Pentagon created a group to look into the phenomenon after more than 100 sightings were reported. And by the following year, the Pentagon said it had received several hundreds of new reports of unidentified aerial phenomena, UFOs, we think of them. The Pentagon has not confirmed that it has a program to retrieve these options, these objects, uh, but this intelligence officer who served for 14 years in the Air Force told Congress he served as a representative on two Pentagon task forces, and in his testimony, he told lawmakers he was informed, quote, of a multi-decade UAP, same thing as UFO, crash, retrieval, and reverse engineering program during his work, and he said, and I quote, as I've stated publicly, biologics came from some of these recoveries. And then he was asked, were they human or non-human biologics? Non-human, he said. And that was the assessment of people with direct knowledge of the program I was talking to who are currently still within the program. Stay tuned for more on that. And finally, Cam, this is just for you. It didn't happen in Florida, but it certainly could have. A woman was arrested in California on Tuesday. Serious charge here. Mm. She was standing by the side of a highway near San Francisco's Bay Bridge and, uh, Bay Bridge and started firing a gun at, oh at passersby during afternoon drive traffic, 440 in the afternoon. Uh, she was yelling at other drivers and shooting. Oh, I left out one part. She was completely naked. <laughs> a naked woman standing by the side of the road firing her weapon. Are you sure it was in Florida? That's Man. why I said it could have been. It could have been. Didn't mean to bury the lead there. She got out of a car, 
while still clothed first, was yelling another driver. Then she got out in the car, got back past the toll plaza, then exited completely naked. She started firing a gun while pointing it at other cars. She um, discharged the weapon entirely, ran out of bullets. Then, uh, after initially not dropping the firearm, even though she dropped all the rest of her clothing, she eventually surrendered, was taken into custody as being examined. Now, does that not sound like a Florida uh, type of story, something we're going to Hopefully, she isn't one that's going to move to Austin from California. Well, she can stay in Cali. She'll have to put some clothes on first. Bizarro Dale Dudley, so you got to be Oklahoma, right? California, firing at cars, scary sight, completely naked as she did it. So, there you go. <laughs> so, all right. Keith Borland will join us coming up next hour. We we'll look forward to that. Talk a lot of different things. And, uh, well, oh, we had a winner, right, on the uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine? We did. Congrats to Scott McDonald. Scott, caller number 15, Perseverance Pays Off. So has got a few more days of giving those away and online at hornfm.com. So that's a good thing. So stay tuned. Keith Moreland joins us here in hour number two of Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.